Welcome in, you knotheads. You've arrived in the nick of time. I am your host, Nick Cormier, ready to discuss with you the week's goings-on in pop culture, current events, and entertainment. This week, we're going to discuss the premiere of Miss Marvel on Disney+, Plus, as well as the premiere episodes of The Boys, Season 3, over on Amazon, before we touch base on the South Park Streaming Wars special on Paramount+, Plus, finally hitting up the Hustle film released with Adam Sandler on Netflix this week. Uh, We'll end with a pair of segments, the first being the two-minute drill, which will touch base on a couple of things we've talked about over the past podcast, namely updates to Obi-Wan Kenobi and the NBA Finals, Uh, and then we'll go ahead and finish with what really grinds my gears, uh, as Peter Griffin likes to say. So stay tuned. We're going to have a nice time. So first up on the pod today, we're going to go ahead and chat about Miss Marvel, the new show on Disney+, Plus, the new entry into the MCU universe, uh, as well as the introduction to a new character, Kamala Khan, who plays the aforementioned titular Miss Marvel in the show. Uh, the actress, I believe, is named Iman. Iman Vellani is the name, and she does a wonderful job. Let me just note uh, that this, this show feels very different tonally from everything that you've watched in the Marvel Cinematic Universe thus far, Uh, mainly because it's a coming-of-age story is what it feels like. Uh, You're you're dealing with a teenage girl who's in high school, going through lots of changes and whatnot, trying to deal with what she wants to do with her life, who she wants to be, the character she wants to become, while uh, against the background of a traditional American-Pakistani family, Uh, who, of course, have their own ideals and um, values that they're trying to bestow upon their their family member. And it's really interesting how they're pulling this off. I like the visual and aesthetic style very much of the show. It has a a very whimsical flair to it. It's clearly told through the eyes of Kamala. Uh, There's lots of cartoony bits and, and added graphical enhancements that they're doing, like it's almost as if she's drawing and doodling in her notebook, and then they show that against the the background of the the real camera action going on. So it's really tonally, like I said, different than what you're seeing in other Marvel productions. There is a hint of Spider-Man going on with it, in that I guess you had Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and Peter Parker, rather, in his high school days throughout the first three films, and really in that first film, a lot of it taking place within the school. So to, to that effect, there is some similarity, but that's kind of where it ends, uh, because even the original Spider-Man film, Homecoming, feels a, a bit darker in tone than this does just after one episode. Uh, but the one thing that I will note is that um, this actress who's playing Kamala Khan, Iman Vellani, is doing a really wonderful job. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of haters out there, a lot of detractors for a series like this, because it isn't what we're used to. It isn't the norm. In fact, the the, the contrast between what we just ended with Moon Knight and this, this series is really striking uh, in a pleasant way, because I really enjoyed the disassociative identity disorder that we, we were exploring in the Moon Knight series just as much as I'm enjoying this coming of age story that we really haven't had yet in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so there is uh, a lot of contrast there but in a flavorful way and I really enjoy how that's being done I can tell that there will be uh, a lot of detractors on this though and uh, and I'll get to that later in the podcast really with some of the stuff I'm already reading 
but genuinely would say so far that they're doing something unique and refreshing uh, with the Miss Marvel series. Um, the other thing I would note about it that start, stands out, it's striking, is the representation of the family life, the Pakistani-American family life that they're showing here. This is one of those things that I'm always harping on is forced representation in television and film. Um, I do think that representation is important, I, and I also do believe that you can do it earn, in earnest versus having it shoehorned in or feeling forced. Uh, for instance, there's a new Star Trek show called Strange New Worlds, and there does seem to be a little bit of shoehorning going on in that show. My friend, who's a huge Star Trek buff, much greater than I am, her name's Andy, uh, and, and she noticed it too, that there's a lot of casting that feels like they're going out of their way, uh, to be, you know, forcibly inclusive, uh, and forcibly representing different, uh, character tropes, uh, and different, different things in that show. Whereas in this show, it feels completely authentic. Um, so far they've done a really great job in this just one pilot episode. Of course, there's going to be six total, so there's not a lot. Um, but in one episode, they do a really good job of, of representing uh, the Pakistani people, at least in my in my summation. I think that they're doing a wonderful job showing how uh, the Pakistani American family life goes. Uh, and I think that it's wonderful and very, very refreshing. As I said previously, I hope that it sticks to this and it doesn't just devolve into Marvel tropiness after the first episode. Like the first episode gives you that glimpse into it, but then they just get away from it and devolve really fast. But I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that they're going to continue down with what they're doing right now and, and really looking forward to seeing what they're coming up with next. Uh, it's a really great premiere episode, though. In terms of origin, uh, we all, we get to see what Kamala Khan's powers are by the end of the episode, how she gets them. She finds what appears to be some form of mystical bangle uh, that's a family heirloom inside of her attic, and she adds that to her cosplay when she's going to the Avengers Con. Um, and her parents, of course, don't want her to go, even though shout out to the dad for a wonderful performance. He does a great job at one point or another. He paints himself entirely green and ends up in a Hulk costume with the idea being that he's going to accompany his daughter to Avenger Con. Now, of course, she doesn't really want to have that happen and calls him out for being overly embarrassing, which is definitely a sad, sour moment in this show because you feel super bad for the dad. And I don't know that you're meant to just feel awful for the parents in the situation because at this point they're just trying to be a part of the daughter's life and enjoy the things that she enjoys uh, at the risk of making their face entirely green and dressing up in silly garb. Of course, the dad feels silly. As a father myself, I can understand what he's going through when the daughter calls him embarrassing and Kamala, that was a shame on you, which she does instantly, instantaneously feel that shame and, and apologizes to her dad forthright. But there definitely is uh, a, a, a sweetness involved with that, and, and probably one of my favorite parts of the show is when the dad's like, hey, I'm going to dress up as the Hulk and attend AvengerCon with you. Um, I hope that there's more interaction with the dad and the mother in the future episodes. I'm sure there will be. Got to explain where this bangle came from, where these powers came from, uh, what the mother may or may not have known regarding that bangle and a power inside of it. Uh, maybe the mom, I'm, I'm getting a feeling that the mom may know a little bit more than she's letting on. Uh, but we'll obviously find out later when the when the the secrets out and Kamala Khan is aired out as being uh, someone with superpowers now, just like she wanted to be. Um, 
let's the re- how the rest of the show might go. I'm not a big comic book reader, and that's why the Marvel Cinematic Universe to me is very exciting because I don't know what's going to go on. I don't know these stories. I've never read about these characters. I don't know where these plot lines are being written, taken from. I don't know what arcs they're from. So when I read about things online, it's genuinely interesting, but I try my best not to read into it too much because you know there's a lot of spoilers on the internet these days. And frankly, it's nice to be watching something and 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 get a chance to predict it or otherwise uh, just enjoy it as it's happening and experience it fully um where i think this is going is they're going to set up the sequel to captain marvel that's going to be the marvels which of course kamala khan is going to be rephrasing her role as miss marvel in that film along with uh, tiziana tiziana parish uh, and of course, um, Brie Larson herself as Captain Marvel. Now, I don't know how we're going to get there from where we currently are. Like I said, coming of age story going on right now and how that's going to link up and get us to the starting line for where the Marvels kicks off. I don't know, but I do know that this is supposed to be the setup point or, and, and feel that this is what we're going to, we're going to eventually get to after six episodes. I'm really intrigued with how we're going to get there, but I do want to say that, uh, uh, smash up job by Iman Vellani. She crushed this role. She's I know that there's a lot of people out there that are gonna give her hell for this role and say that she didn't do a good job, but that's just patently false. Uh, very enjoyable premiere episode. And I look forward to seeing what they have in store for us. Marvel obviously always does a good job of really fleshing out their stories, so I look forward to seeing what they do with Kamala Khan's character in this one. All right, moving on to our next topic for the pod. We're going to go ahead and chat about the premiere of The Boys Season 3. And whoo-hoo, let's talk about how this went. They did jack a little bit off of Marvel, and uh, jack off is an interesting phrase to use in this point because a man's dick gets entered by a hero, and he explodes him from the inside. Now, if you're not familiar... There is this theory uh, slash joke running around the internet. It has been for a long time that why didn't Ant-Man, Paul Rudd's Ant-Man, just crawl, shrink down, crawl into Thanos' anus and expand from the inside and explode Thanos that way? Why didn't he just crawl in there and quote-unquote do the dirty deed? Um, well, first of all, it's obviously a Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, property when they did Avengers Endgame. And they're not really into butt play at this point, which is kind of fine because I like it when I see it in things like Everywhere, Everything, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once uh, with the butt plug fight scene. If you're not familiar with that, go ahead and check that film out because it's fantastic. Uh, and I do like that the the boys gets to be the more graphic and gory property and that they're willing to do these things that uh, you know marvel cinematic universe is unwilling to do at this point but the the fact that you had uh butcher and his team bust in on this hero who was having a, a gay affair with a man in a bedroom and next thing you know shrinks down enters his urethra and then sneezes, and in the process of sneezing, expands himself to normal size, exploding the man from the inside of his own penis, was absolutely fucking laugh-out-loud hilarious. Obviously, Butcher not taking out the soup as he would normally do in past times was interesting, and I think that has a lot to do, obviously, with uh, Newman, Senator or Congressman, Congresswoman Newman's Bureau of Superhuman Affairs, taking things out and Huey thinking that he's doing a great service to the country uh, under the guise of that that division. But in reality, we find out very swiftly uh, that Newman herself is a soup and that Huey's just been working for a soup. 
And of course, uh, in in time, very quickly, Butcher finds that out once Huey admits it to him and gives him a hard time for being a, you know, a super sidekick uh, with no powers. Um, so there's this operation called Red River, and we're not really sure how Miss Newman got into there, but apparently she was adopted by Mr. Edgar of, uh, of Vaught. Uh, and we don't know exactly how things are working with that just yet. That's obviously stuff to be revealed later in the season, not in the first three episodes when they premiere it. Um, but yeah, things are very interesting to start the season. It looks like Annie is now dating, uh, dating Huey publicly as uh, they go out to the premiere for the the seven, uh, what appears to be Dawn uh, of the of the seven, which is like a, a joke of the um, the Justice League film when they redid the Snyder cut, uh, and they're doing a doing a, a bit on that, which I think is hilarious because I did enjoy the Snyder cut a great deal more than I did the original Justice League. Still think there were a lot of problematic problematic elements with that film. Excuse me. But uh, I do think it was much better uh, done when Zack Snyder was given his cut. But yeah, as usual, Carl Urban just doing a great job crushing the role of William Butcher. Um, Once again, going off the deep end a little bit. This time with a little bit of that temporary V he's got in his system. I have a feeling we're headed. I have, again, I don't read the source material. I haven't read the graphic novels for The Voice, so no spoilers, just my predictions. I have a feeling we're going towards a place where he has to stop taking the temporary V or risk becoming a permanent superhero. So become what you hate. Classic, uh, classic literary example of what happens to people who can't give up their 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 ghost, so to speak. Uh, and I think that we are going to get that with Butcher. He's going to need to take down Homelander. He's going to feel the need to keep taking the supplemental temporary V that Queen Maeve is supplying him. And eventually he's just going to become a soup himself, literally become what he hates. Uh, could end up in a tragic storyline where Butcher eventually takes himself out or the boys are forced to turn on Butcher. Um, one way or the other only can lead to tragedy from here, and I am excited for that. But Butcher really does feel the need to take out Homelander, and uh, even Homelander kind of knows that. Anthony Starr, once again, doing a wonderful job playing the menacing superhero slash supervillain. Um, what is interesting is Anthony Starr had that assault issue uh, last year, and, and in this show, it almost feels like there was some prescient uh, filming regarding that. Maybe it happened during filming of this season. I'm not too sure, but Homelander's been on this little little warpath, like mental issue uh, breakdown since last year, right? In season two, uh, he was having the whole boiling kettle situation where he was like sitting there just ready to boil over, ready to boil over. And the only thing really keeping him in check uh, was Stormfront uh, and Queen Maeve with the with the tape of the airplane where he let all of the civilians die on the airplane, right? Well, Stormfront, spoiler alert, everyone, uh, does pass away in this season. In episode two, she takes her own life after a weird scene where she's jerking off Homelander from her bed, even though she's completely maimed. 
but she's still talking about the Fourth Reich. Uh, she's still talking about all the Nazi roots and how Homelander's supposed to lead those people. Uh, and Homelander's really not feeling it and therefore stops feeling Stormfront in that moment. And, you know, the mental illness then got to Stormfront because she realizes if she loses Homelander, she's lost everything. So she ends up uh, what it appears to be tragically taking her own life, which is unfortunate. It happens off screen, so we don't know if that's really going to stick or if she's going to be back around later. Who really knows? Uh, only time will tell on that front, but for now it does appear as though Stormfront's gone, and with that, Homelander kind of loses his shit. He kind of comes out and said he's tired of being uh, hated for his strength, uh, he doesn't want to have to fake it anymore, wants to really remain honest with the public, so he comes out in what seems to be a complete breakdown of his personality. It turns out the ratings for him go up, people love it, they love the honesty, they love the unadulterated, unabashed realness that he's uh, showing. So what's crazy is that it actually is a gambit when Starlight goes to tell him, listen, I'll release the video, uh, it backfires on her and suddenly Homelander says, go ahead and release the video because, you know, at that point I'll have nothing else left to lose and that means that you can go down, the White House can go down, the, de the Department of Defense can go down, I can take down this whole country, I can take down this whole company, I can take you down, your boyfriend down, everybody down, I can kill whoever the fuck I want because I'm fucking Homelander, I'm Anthony Starr. Uh, and that's crazy. That's just fucking crazy. So now we don't, not only do we not have really the boiling kettle scenario, we have a completely self-aware Homelander who realizes that checks and balances that they had against him really aren't checks and balances. And even though Queen Maeve pops in to say at the beginning, uh, that we got to take down Homelander still, and that's why she's supplying, you know, Butcher with that temporary V, uh, it seems like it is going to be up to Butcher to take down Homelander because no one else is going to be able to do it. Vaught doesn't have the reins on him anymore. Uh, he's not reined in by this video that Queen Maeve and Starlight were holding over his head. By the end of the third episode, he's literally faking a relationship with Starlight in public to the point where basically Starlight has to re-experience all of the horrors that the Deep made her feel. Oh, and the Deep is back in the seven. P.S. That was plot twist. Uh, you know... By the way, uh, when he had to eat his friend Timothy the octopus because Homelander forced him to do so, that shit was fucking hilarious, too. I couldn't believe... He's crying for his life. He has a family. Deep, eat fucking Timothy. That was some really funny shit. And that's the type of stuff that we've really come to enjoy from the boys is that dark comical element that you really can't get in a lot of your Marvel Cinematic Universe stories because they're trying to tread the line between PG-13 and R uh, and doing a great job of it, Marvel uh, is, but at the same time, that's where they leave room for the boys to kind of do their thing uh, and enjoy it. So what am I expecting from the rest of the season? I expect uh, Butcher, like I said, to become a full-time superhero through the use, the uh, continued use of the temporary V. I expect him to take on Homelander and potentially even kill or maim Homelander. Uh, tough to see Anthony Starr bowing out of the show completely, but at the same time, they are setting up some stuff uh, with uh, the Congresswoman uh, Newman's character and what was going on there with the Red River Project. Uh, obviously, there's still tons of other soups that can be the bad guy. Stormfront can come off the burner later if she really didn't die. Again, she died off screen, so there is a possibility that she's not dead. Um, there's a lot of ways they could go with this, but I do see Butch Butcher finally having a battle a showdown with Homelander and winning it. Uh, and potentially even maybe soup succeeding Homelander as the soup that is the danger to everybody. Maybe Huey and the boys and Starlight have to take on 
take on uh, Butchlander after this is all said and done. Who knows? But a very exciting start to the season, and uh, looking forward to seeing what this brings us each week. Okay, now we're going to chat a little bit about everyone's favorite uh, cartoon show, Rick and Nope Psych. We're talking about South Park. 25 years on the air, uh, still relevant now as it was back when it first premiered. One of the best satires that has ever been presented on cable television or streaming. Um, Now back with a new Paramount Plus special, The Streaming Wars. So uh, a little bit why South Park is still relevant 25 years later. despite being incredibly offensive to many people because they've gone after just about everyone, including themselves, uh, is that's exactly why they're still on the air all these years later is because they go after everybody. No one's safe when it comes to South Park. Trey and Matt are going to take you down if you have a platform, if you are a group, if you are uh, seen or you identify with some group of people. Uh, Matt and Trey are absolutely going to come after you, whether it's PC culture, whether it's the Catholics, whether it's the Mormons, the left, the right. He's gonna, they go after everybody. They don't have any uh, qualms about taking anybody down, uh, which honestly makes them equal opportunity haters, uh, the best kind of haters. Uh, no one likes hate when it's just against a specific group or individual. We like hate when it's equally distributed amongst all of the groups. So that's why South Park's on the air 25 years later and still enjoying great amounts of success. Uh, if anybody didn't see the COVID specials, they put on two hour long, um, post COVID, uh, specials onto Paramount plus last year. I do urge you to see them. They did a wonderful job making fun of NFTs and uh, the COVID society in general that we all found ourselves in. Um, Obviously, difficult to make light of a sensitive subject like COVID, but Matt and Trey pulled it off pretty swimmingly. Uh, And they're back now with the streaming wars. Um, The ability to make fun of themselves has been uh, another huge reason they've been on the air for these 25 years. Because not only are they able to go after others, they're able to give themselves a hard time. For instance, when they had the reveal uh, that crab people were uh, responsible at the end of an episode, and I think it was season six, seven, maybe it was five, uh, crab people were responsible for the ills of the world. Uh, and then with the uh, super best friends, they made fun of themselves when they had all the boys wearing white without hats, and the boys themselves couldn't tell which character was which because of the way that the show's animated and drawn. Kyle didn't know who Stan was. Stan didn't know who Kenny was. The only one they absolutely know who was who uh, was Cartman, and that's because, of course, Cartman is extremely fat uh, and thus stands out amongst all of the children at South Park Elementary. Um, and then, of course, the most famous uh, time that they took a piece of their own ass was the Man Bear Pig episodes. Back in the, uh, in the early 2000s, South Park went out of their way to make fun of climate change as if it didn't exist by creating a character uh, that Al Gore called Man Bear Pig. It was half man, half bear, half pig. And yes, if you're doing your math correctly, that's 150%, and that's a part of the joke. Um, half man, half bear pig. Half bear, half pig man. Half man half pig bear uh all these different sayings that they were doing throughout that joke uh, one of my favorite episodes they've ever done but the point was that matt and trey were poignantly just trying to take jabs at al gore for saying that climate change was coming uh that an inconceivable truth or whatever that name of that movie was uh that documentary film that al gore put out was about this climate change that matt and trey frankly didn't believe was coming Well, fast forward to season 22, 23, and uh, Matt and Trey are poking fun at themselves 
by having a go at all the people who said that Man Bear Pig wasn't real. And Al Gore is taking a victory lap because it uh, it's very clear that climate change is not only real, but it's hastening and it's destruction of the entire planet. Uh, and it's extremely problematic. And they were dead wrong, just as wrong as anyone could ever be about any topic ever. Um, and again, being able to make fun of themselves about that topic is what makes what makes South Park so excellent, is that Matt and Trey aren't afraid to admit when they're wrong and make themselves the topical humor of the episode. Um, so that's why it's still going, and that's where you got uh, Paramount Plus and HBO Max both doing streaming deals with it. And which brings us to the new special that they put out on Paramount Plus this week, The Streaming Wars. Initially, you think it's going to be about uh, Netflix and Paramount and Disney and HBO Max and all these streaming services that there are out there, right? No, it's about water. And the issue being that Colorado River is drying up and water rights are on the table. So we're talking about all of these farmers, uh, like Stan's dad, Randy Marsh, who does a marijuana farm and how the excess water that he has could actually be sold off as rights. Um, and of course, the uh, allegory that they're making the entire time is the 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 selling of the rights to streaming productions and content, of course, South Park itself. Um, but maybe they've actually oversold themselves because the, the episode goes on to show that too many streaming uh, sales just ends up in the same problems that existed previously, uh, and, and, and suddenly you just have cable. Even though you meant to cut the cord, you have five, six streaming services, and you're just paying for the old cable subscription that you used to have. Uh, so that's where we've arrived. Um, lots of funny callbacks in the episode. Of course, Man Bear Pig is the boogeyman again in this episode. He is helping out Mr. PP from the water park who has devised uh, a clever plan to make everybody use up all the water so that they then have to start drinking the pee that he supplies because pee has a bunch of water left in it itself despite having additional waste properties inside of it. Uh, which is why if you're if you're in the desert in the middle of nowhere stranded you're gonna have to drink your own pee if you want to survive and Mr. P Mr. P P is the one who is going to make all of South Park regret the fact that they're using so much of their water so haste hastily and wastefully um, really well done by the gang again I think it's great the statement that they're making is way too many streaming services defeat the purpose. Uh, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. If you were asking me what my streaming service recommendations would be, it would be HBO Max and screw the rest. But of course, with the Marvel and Star Wars back catalog, Disney Plus almost feels like a necessity at this point. Uh, Netflix does have uh, Stranger Things, which is great. But aside from that, not a whole lot that's worth subscribing for. Uh, and then Paramount Plus, honestly, it's only for these South Park specials and nothing else. Uh, frankly, it's not worth subscribing to. Uh, and, and Hulu, and I know people get on about Amazon and Hulu and Apple Plus, but frankly, none of those things, uh, th those services have enough content for me. I believe HBO Max is the one true king of streaming, and everybody should get on board with that and leave the rest behind. But that's just my personal belief. You don't have to listen to it uh, unless you're listening to my podcast right now, which, of course, forcibly shoves my opinion down your fucking throat. Yay! All right, let's chat now about Hustle, the new film on Netflix starring Adam Sandler as a talent uh, scout for the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team. Um, the film is really a letter to the city of Philadelphia. Uh, it's, it's really about the idea that without great effort and struggle, 
uh, opportunity presenting itself is essentially meaningless. In this life, you have to be prepared for opportunity when it when it strikes you with with effort, and you have to be ready for that opportunity. And if you're not, if you haven't gone through the struggles, then opportunity presenting itself is essentially meaningless. And that's what the story of Philadelphia really is about uh, when you think about heroes like Rocky, when you think about Dr. J, when you think about all these greats uh, in, in sports history, in the annals of, of sports history. Uh, that's what the city of Philadelphia is all about, not just Pats and Genos and all the cheesesteaks and whatnot and what have you. Um, Adam Sandler is doing a great job in another dramatic role. If you have seen him in Uncut Gems, then you know what I'm talking about. Adam Sandler really does have the chops to be uh, a, dra- a drama star, not just a comedian. He is pretty funny in this movie, but not at all times. Uh, there's lots of nuance to the role. Uh, there's a lot of heartbreak on his face at different points in the film that you can see, uh, and it's incredibly important uh, to recognize that he's not just somebody who can give you a laugh. He can make you cry, too. He can get you to be upset. Um, and there's a couple of poignant lines in the film. I don't want to spoil really just because it's such a great film. I did enjoy very much. Um, and Netflix having the deal with, 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 uh, Adam Sandler is great. Gives him potential to do something like this. Adam Sandler is actually a huge basketball buff. So when he was given the opportunity to work with Maverick Carter and LeBron James, of course, clutch media, clutch sports, uh, he he took that. There's a lot of appearances by NBA formers and, and current names in the film. You got uh, appearances by Chris Middleton, Kyle Lowry, uh, Matisse Thybul, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, of course, the Sixers team. Um, Anthony Edwards has a, has a strong role as the uh, as as one of the antagonists of the films of the film. Trey Young uh, and Boban appear. Dirk Nowitzki appears for a brief moment. And then you get appearances by a bunch of names and and, and, and NBA greats. You know, of course, Shaquille O'Neal makes an appearance. Allen Iverson, AI makes an appearance. Kenny the Jet Smith, Mark Cuban, uh, Brad Stevens, Mark Jackson, Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson. Uh, uh, Dr. J, of course, has a little role in it and Doc Rivers being the coach of the 76ers. So it's very realistic, very well done, very tasteful. Um, I like that they go through a lot of the steps. The montages are great, as all Philadelphia sports film montages should be in the tradition of Rocky. Uh, I think that the film is very touching. Queen Latifah plays Adam Sandler's wife, and she does a great role. She does a great job supporting in this role. Um, and their, their daughter is a wonderful little actress as well. She does a great job in the little moments she gets with her father. Um, side hugs, <laughs> no full frontal hugs. Uh, very, very funny film, but at the same time, uh, not necessarily a comedy. Just a very, very well done drama piece. Adam Sandler really turning his career around in terms of being taken more seriously in these later films. Uh, and I'm all for it. I want to see more dramatic Adam Sandler. Uh, if I were going to give this film a grade, I'd give it a strong B+. Uh, not quite an A. It was lacking in some parts, uh, some departments. Uh, I would say that they could have had uh, more without Adam Sandler with the main basketball player. His name is Boa or Bo. Um, he didn't like Bo, Bo Cruz. And Adam Sandler's trying to nickname him and gives him the cruise missile, and Bo doesn't like that very much. Uh, obviously that's a, a little American humor, but not so, so much for the Spanish star, uh, diamond in the rough that Adam goes out to find in this film. Um, 
But yeah, it is a really touching film, and I would suggest anybody with a Netflix subscription go ahead and check that one out. It's called Hustle. Uh, just came out today, and it's a very wonderful, delightful film. Check it out. All right, let's go ahead and do the two-minute drill. This segment is going to be where I touch upon subjects that we've previously covered on uh, podcasts prior to this one. And I'm going to go ahead and get two minutes on the topic to go ahead and refresh what's going on since we last spoke about said topic. In this case, we got a two-minute drill talking about the Golden State Warriors Boston Celtics NBA Final Series. And we're going to have one about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus series. So here we go. All right, first thing we're going to do is go ahead and talk about the NBA Finals, Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I had predicted that the Golden State Warriors would win this series in six games. Going to have to amend that to seven games now as it's looking pretty grim for the dynasty against the Boston Celtics who have been pining for this moment for literally a decade now. Uh, it seems that uh, Al Horford had found the, how- for the fountain of youth, 36, 37-year-old Al Horford going for 26 points in game one, uh, six for eight from three-point land, just shooting the lights out for the Boston Celtics certainly wasn't somebody they were counting on to do all this work against the Warriors coming into this series and now that we are here he did do a little bit of domination in game number one game number two he put up a whole two points much closer to what we were expecting from the ancient old grandfather uh he he was unfortunately too effective in game one and pretty effective in game three as well as the Boston Celtics have jumped out to a two week two one lead against the Golden State Warriors so far pretty disappointing performances from our man Clay Thompson that was my pick for the MVP of the series so far he's been shooting very poorly less than 30 percent from the three-point land uh, in the field. Overall, he needs to come along the ride. Steph Curry's been playing great, but maybe got hurt in game number three. So that's problematic. Uh, That's slightly problematic. Game four in Boston tonight. We really need to steal that one for the Warriors. Otherwise, really, really going to be going down 3-1. Tough time. Probably going to be a loss to the Celtics. Celtics got themselves another championship. What can I say? Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But at the end of the day, Steph Curry finally playing real big in the finals here. Definitely deserving of MVP if honors if they can complete the comeback here down 2-1 and win this in six or seven games. Golden State Warriors really need to get their stuff together, but it looks right now like I was dead fucking wrong about who was going to win this series. All right, let's talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 4. Wow, what terrible writing. Who made these decisions? Who okayed this? This is awful. So we start off, Obi-Wan Kenobi's going after Princess Leia. Right, he gets out of the back-to-tank immediately. Literally hopped in the back-to-tank, was immediately healed. I thought the whole point of the back-to-tank is you needed it for a little bit to get your injuries healed. They said that he almost died from the burn injuries Vader gave him last episode. Next thing you know, he's hopping right out of the tank. He's been in there for five minutes, ten minutes, one minute. I don't know. It was really quick. He jumped out really fast. Next thing you know, he's chasing off. To go after Princess Leia, who's on the ship of the Grand Inquisitors, with Darth Vader nearby, mind you. Absolutely insane that he's going here right after he gets torched by Vader, but I guess that's the way of the Jedi? I don't know. Anyhow, so he goes to the planet. Rhea's torturing a child. Rava? Rava? Rhea? I don't know. Her name's forgettable because her character's forgettable. The performance by that actor's absolutely flat. Garbage. Flat-out garbage, I'm telling you right now. I'm not racist. This isn't a racist bit. I love black people in Star Wars. I love black people in all film and television, but honestly, this isn't about that this is about awful acting and the actress who's portraying that character is just doing a disservice to herself and to this series in general grand inquisitor my ass wants to be the right hand of vader my ass i'm telling you right now they need to write her out of every future story i hope vader chokes her out chokes a life out of her next time didn't do it this time because she what planted a tracker on leia after of course predictably obi-wan kenobi ewan mcgregor's character gets leia back and is supposed to take her where home to her family the senate the senators the people that she'll be protected by this time 
presumably with much better security after the first episode mishaps that lost Princess Leia. But no, they have a tracker on them, so of course they're headed presumably to where the Rebels are located? What kind of ridiculous writing is this? This feels like my goddamn 12-year-old is writing it herself and put herself in a big role. Nobody asked for this much Leia. We wanted more Obi-Wan. Less Vader is good, though, so no more Vader. We like the amount of Vader we're getting, but... Honestly, who wrote this crap? Who's, who okayed this crap? What of a terrible thing to have happen to an intellectual property like Star Wars? It's fa- frankly disgusting. Somebody should be fired. Their position should be taken from them because this was okayed. Somebody signed off on this. Somebody signed their name on this. They need to be taken out. They don't deserve to have the job. They don't have the creative license to do this. And the writing is absolutely abysmal. And to wrap up today's show, we're going to go ahead and have the inaugural version of my show's segment called What Really Grinds My Gears? And uh, that's obviously a Family Guy reference. And a lot of my segments are going to have references to cartoon shows because, frankly, I think that cartoon shows uh, in their satirical nature are much funnier than uh, any other type of comedy show. So aside from things like maybe The Office or Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But uh, that being said, let's talk a little bit about what really grinds my gears. Uh, the first thing that grinds my gears, Disney Plus shrinkflation. Shrinkflation. Uh, you heard me. Just like when you see a food package that you're purchasing weighs less than it did last time you bought it because it has less uh, liquid or, or weight to it because it's less product they're selling you for the same amount of money that you per- purchased it for previously. Disney Plus is the streaming content equivalent of shrinkflation i'm gonna tell you why right now i can go ahead and watch eight episodes of the boy on amazon prime guaranteed every time always a good nice eight episodes thick chunky hour-long episodes eight hours of content every single season i watch hbo max and i watch a show like tokyo vice or i watch a show like westworld and i'm getting eight to ten episodes hour-long episodes 45 minute long episodes 50 minute episodes every single time Lots and lots of content. Bang for your buck. That's what I'm talking about here, people. I watch South Park even on Paramount Plus, and uh, they're doing these specials. They're they're 50 minutes long, 55 minutes long, an hour and five minutes long. The content is there. Stranger Things on Netflix this season. A couple of the episodes were over an hour long. When they bring back for uh, the rest of the season four finale, the season episodes eight and nine are, presu- are, are predicted to be at an hour and 45 minutes and two and a half hours long per episode. They're basically movies. They're literally movies. Disney Plus, oh, here's your Marvel show. Enjoy 45 minutes, 50 minutes, down from 50 to 45, to 41, to 35, to 32, to 29. Enjoy your shrinkflation. Be lucky to get eight episodes. Sometimes you only get six episodes. Oh, sorry, we couldn't figure out enough to do with these superheroes in this massive world that we've set up over the course of 26 movies, 15 series, 18 million miniseries, all the online content and marketing that we've done, all the comic book history that we have to call from, all the source material that we could do, all the movies they made in the 80s and 90s that were preceding the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sorry, guys. Can't come up with enough. Oh, we... We can come up with enough for a season two of the awfully written Obi-Wan Kenobi, but we don't have enough to give you more than 32 minutes in episode four. Sorry, gang. Hope you weren't looking for anything like a real television show. Hope you weren't looking for a real running time. That really grinds my gears. Disney doing the massive disservice to their fan base of 
shrinkflation on streaming content. Really disappointing. The House of Mouse is the house of nice try. Seriously. Uh, they got to do a better job than that. And it's, and it's not just that HBO Max, and like I've said on this cast, all these streaming services are doing a better job than Disney, because they are. It's that Disney's not even trying. They're not interested in trying. They don't even put out a new show, but once every other month. What was Moon Knight? March? April? Now I get Miss Marvel in June? Didn't have anything for me in May, did you? No. Okay, great. Oh, I had to wait till the end of the month to get Obi-Wan Kenobi. And that'll be for six episodes, and then I won't see any more Star Wars content until, what, September, when I get more animated The Bad Batch? Animated TV shows, that's what you got for me, waiting four months at a time for animated TV shows? That's kind of disappointing, Disney+. Plus. That shrinkflation's total bullshit. Let's, get, let's step up our game, huh? Let's act like we're really a content service. Let's act like we're Disney. We bought Fox, you know? We have Marvel, we have Star Wars, we have all the Pixar. We, we can't do better. We can't do better. Try a little harder, Disney, seriously. Anybody with a damn eye and a brain sees the bullshit you're pulling. That really grinds my gears. You know what else really grinds my gears? Halftime coverage on ESPN. Halftime. You know, it'd be nice to say that half the time it was ads and half the time it was coverage, but that's not even true. It's 70% ads, 30% coverage. And you know, the coverage isn't even coverage. You got Stephen A running off at the mouth talking all the dumbest shit you've ever heard just because he's hot take artist. Hot take, hot take, hot take, hot take. Mike Greenberg can't, can't literally name more than four basketball players on the entire court. You got Jalen Rose who's over here worried about his ex-wife Molly Karam. Where'd she go? Where'd you go, Molly? Where'd you go? Can't even stick around long enough to say something relevant, even though he's the one with the most basketball knowledge at the damn table. You got to bring in C.J. McCullough to broadcast. Pat Beverly just to get something going, and you're not even getting anything going. It's, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. NBA Finals, championship basketball, and what are we doing? Have you checked in with your doctor recently? Try prescription happy pills to get your happy on. Like, come on. Disney is, uh, ESPN is a subsidiary of Disney. Disney owns ESPN. And once again, we're back to Disney and their bullshit. Get it together. All the ad revenue in the world can't make up for a shitty broadcast. And that's what you're putting out there. A shitty broadcast. You got a halftime show that literally lasts for 10 to 15 minutes. And they can't do justice by it. This is why Inside the NBA on TNT is crushing ESPN with basketball coverage, by the way. It's not just Charles and Ernie and Kenny and, and, and Chuck doing, doing a great job, you know, crushing and, and Shaq crushing ESPN coverage because they're just so good together, all four of them. It's that they're doing so much more basketball-centric stuff. Sometimes they're silly. They run to the board. They do gigs. They do gags. But they're not all ads, and they are all substance, mostly all the time. Even if it's hot takes from Chuck versus Shaq, there's so much more substance in that program. Why didn't Inside the NBA get the damn finals? They should never allow ESPN to have it again after this disgusting showing they've been doing. really grinds my gears when a sports entertainment company can't put any damn sports and isn't any entertainment. Go ahead and watch more ads you want to watch ESPN in the finals. I'm, I'm done with it. It grinds my gears. The other things grinds my gears when good shows get canceled. Raised by Wolves, canceled after two seasons. Ridley Scott doing a wonderful job on HBO Max with something truly unique. Original programming on television. Imagine that. We're not just rehashing Obi-Wan Kenobi or doing another Marvel series about another origin story for another hero. We're doing something original. We're on Kepler-22b, a planet far in the way with, you know, life that we don't know about, species we don't know about, robots, AI, sentience, 
all these deep topics that we're trying to explore. I mean, hell, that's what made Westworld great in the beginning, right? We have this deep discussion about artificial intelligence, robots, life, what means what it means to be alive, what it doesn't mean to be alive, what humans uh, what are humans responsible for? What are they not responsible for? And instead, because there's a merger with Discovery, Warner Brothers doesn't have the balls to keep series like Raised by Wolves around. That's a damn disappointment. It grinds my gears. It grinds my gears when good shows get canceled because you get another damn Obi-Wan Kenobi on the air that nobody wants to see, except for a bunch of bumpkins down in Alabama that don't know how to write or read. Oh, look, it's the Obi-Wan Kenobi, boss. He got the lightsaber swinging in the doo-doo. Oh, watch out the stormtroopers. Oh, goodness. Like, seriously, I'm so I'm so over it. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Why are we punishing creatives for putting out good content? Why are we punishing new and original thoughts and 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 cheering old, bored, tired rehash and reboot? I, I don't understand. It really grinds my gears. You know what else really grinds my gears? When something is unique amongst its peers and then gets treated with reviews and critiques like it's not good. Miss Marvel, fantastic show. What's it getting online? Review bombed. People are criticizing. Did they even watch the show? Did they even watch the show? My God. Kamala Khan. This Ivan girl is doing a wonderful job as Kamala Khan. The the style of the show is unique and different from every Marvel show you've seen before it. Even Moon Knight, which was obviously different than anything had come before it. Moon Knight was one end of the extreme crazy you know, mental illness land, and we swing it around to a coming-of-age story of a young girl, a young Pakistani girl in America. Uh-oh, watch out, Pakistani. Uh-oh, can't enjoy that. Better review bomb it. Got a bunch of right-wing extremists got to come out here and be threatened by Kamala Khan. They're ruining their MCU. Need more Homelander, less Kamala Khan. You know what I'm saying? What are we doing? What's the point? Ugh. Grinds my gears. Review bombing. What is the point? You have nothing to do with your life except sit there on the website and write false statements about something you probably haven't even watched? For the love of Pete, what are we doing out here, folks? What are we doing? And we allow it and we believe it. Now people are going to see the reviews. They're going to say, oh, Miss Marvel's not that good. It's got a 3.8. What's that about? Why are all these one-star reviews? Why aren't they all five-star reviews? Because of morons. Absolute pathetic morons. Really grinds my gears.